Y'all came to work today. It was amazing. It was, you sound amazing. And I love that we get to enter into this space together. People coming from all different places, all different walks of life, all different experiences that can even morning what we have been through. God only knows. But we come together in worship. We come together to sing His praise and then we get to come to the Word, and the Word meets us, no matter where we are coming from or where we have been, the Word is here to meet us, to speak to us in a powerful way today. So thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for singing. Thank you for just tuning in to what God wants to do in our midst today. Uh, many of you know we've been in this series in uh, the book of Hebrews or the Sermon of Hebrews. Um, and it's hard to believe we are just one week out from the end of this series. It's been the whole summer that we have been in Love's summer reading list, which has been the book of Hebrews. And so together we are going to dive into chapter 12 today. There's just one more chapter after this one that brings it to conclusion. But as we read from the Word today, I want to invite you to stand where you are. Verses 1 through 17, and Lord, speak to us today through your words so we may hear from you. God, and whatever, um, yeah, you are saying and stirring in our hearts, may we heed that call today. Hear this word from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God disciplines his children, and your struggle against sin, you have, not you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as the father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart and he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God is treating, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as, the, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good in order that we may share, his, share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, amen, but painful Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, peace for those 
who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that there is See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. For a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So I love the way that we structured this series. We kind of gave each, um, each section its own title. Um, and so the title of this sermon at, at the time when we were writing this out was The Training Room. And so this is kind of where we are entering in and, and the lens we are looking through today as we come to chapter 12. So there are some things in life that we train for, and there are probably some things that come to mind when you think of training. One of them, many of you um, are runners, and I am inspired by runners. I, however, am not a runner. (laughs) Um, Only run when chased, and um, even then, I might just lie down, right? Um, (laughs) So... Um, you might train for the Tar Heel 10 Miler. Some of you have done that. Some of you have trained for marathons. Some of you, the Blue Ridge Relay and all of the miles that you have clocked as runners. I applaud you. Some folks, when you're thinking of training, you might think of a literal training room, the space where you go to learn maybe at your job or that you go for a class, a, a training room where you're sitting at tables with your colleagues, uh, and, and learning more. So there's, there are different ways that we can think of training and um, teaching and being educated, right? Then there are other competitions that some of you are a part of, maybe uh, tennis, uh, playing out on the court, going to championships. Um, there's uh, weightlifters among us that are training in all of these ways. Um, and then there is, like, when I think about training, uh, my friend Chris uh, sent, yeah, sent, sent me the, the montage of Rocky training, okay? So Rocky, the tr- Rocky training montage is about 20 minutes. I thought that might actually be what we do for the message today, is that we just watch that montage. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, I'm hearing uh, less reception than I expected on <laughs> On that, but if you um, if you have watched any of the Rocky movies, of which I have to confess I have not seen all of them, um, if you are interested in doing a Rocky marathon here at the Varsity, I think we might um, have to make that happen at some point in the near future. But it is there is so much training, right? There's a reason that the montage itself is 20 minutes long. That is just training scene after training scene after training scene through the first five movies. And the fact that there are more than five movies um, is telling 
right, it, it keeps going. So maybe some of you um, have done training for things like uh, backpacking, doing uh, the Appalachian Trail. Um, or, you know, my mom is getting near retirement, and her goal for retirement is hiking the Pacific Coast Trail. Um, and I'm like, she just had hip surgery like three weeks ago, and she's like, she's, that's her motivation, right? There is that training that has to happen in order for her to be able to accomplish that goal. And I am encouraging her every step of the way. So then, as we were planning for this series, right, like three, four months ago, I had no idea that yesterday I would get to spend time in what was my training room um, as a whitewater kayaker. So the New River Gorge, um, the, right beneath the New River Gorge bridge right there is a rapid called Fayette Station Rapid. And it is a class four rapid that is uh, the perfect training ground for anybody who wants to get into whitewater. I was incredibly blessed that this was just 45 minutes away from where I grew up and where I went to high school. So in high school, I would just load my kayak on the car after getting out of school, run to the river and stay until the sun goes down um, and play all, all evening long, learning how to roll in the midst of a um, class four rapid, um, flipping over and then flipping right back up. You can't really see it. like there. If right here, sorry, Bryce, I just kicked the cajon, not making beautiful noise like you. Um, but there, there is a rock right here. And um, so when I was about, oh gosh, I would have been 15. So that makes my, other, my younger brothers 10 and 6 at the time. Um, so my mom, who grew up doing whitewater and training us in this, um, decided as training, we swim out to that rock, and then we swim the rapid, just on, with our life jackets on, right? There was some safety measure there. <laughs> but that we swim through the rapid, because if you can swim through a class four rapid and not freak out, <laughs> then you can do just about anything when it comes to whitewater. So my training ground, I got to, got to spend time there yesterday, and so, um, in actually honoring my grandfather who introduced us all to the sport, um, but it brought back so many memories of what it was like to train. And then the fact that yesterday I could do my first ever um, whitewater paddleboard adventure. I did the entire stretch of river on my paddleboard, uh, which was amazing, but that takes training, right? Like that takes time to build up the crazy nerves to do that. So training really is the appropriate word when we come to this passage. Training at its core is preparation for something to come, right? It is to, to prepare for or to train for who we were created to be, to accomplish a goal, a goal in our life, or maybe to accomplish the purpose for our life. When you think of training, do you ever think about the need to train for a life of freedom? To train for a life of freedom. 
Because I don't know about you, but it feels like there are a lot of things that keep me from living that life of freedom that we are called to. Are there things in your life that keep you from living that life of freedom? Are there ways that you can train for it? It's kind of what our passage is getting at here today. That we remember, right, this is speaking to a group of Jesus followers who are undergoing persecution, who are falling away from the faith, who are backing off of what they have known. And so as they step into the face of persecution, this is that reminder for them that there is, there is more. There is training that we can live this out, not to fall away, but to persevere. One of the ways that it, it starts out actually in talking about how to do this is to cast off anything that hinders and the sin that entangles. I think it is significant that it starts there because so often when we become followers of Jesus, what we like to do with sin is to try to make a box and put it in there. And so if I know that my sin is over here in this box, then I can just put it over there and I can pretend, right, that it's just in a box and I can go on. But then maybe we sin again and we're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I gotta put that one in there too. Put that in the box and then we'll set it aside. Okay. So maybe we're not, we're not gonna, not gonna worry about the, the box of sin over there. The thing is, when it's in the box, it continues to capture our attention where we try to hide it, even if we try to put it behind. This passage tells us to cast off anything that hinders us, the sin that entangles. Because as long as this is present, it can grab our attention and distract us from who we were created to be and to live the purpose that we were created for. So what does it look like then to cast off that which entangles us, to get past the barrier that sin creates for us? It doesn't mean hiding the box. It doesn't mean putting it on a shelf. It means getting rid of it. Y'all, it's like, go to like, get rid of it, right? There is no more. Let it go that the sin is cast off. That which entangles us, we are to be set free. But in order to get to, in order to get to that place, we have to train to live freely as we were created to live. Because carrying that box makes it really hard to run a race. For those of you who do run, right? 
if you have to carry something in that race, doesn't that slow you down? But if you can cast it off, throw it away so that it does not slow you down. It doesn't hinder you any longer. Then we can, we can run the race that has been set out for us. We can accomplish the purpose that God has given us on this earth. I love, I was out for a walk last week and happened to be following a person with a shirt with a saying on the back and that, right, you never know how that's gonna go. But it struck me. The back of this person's shirt don't trip over what's behind you. Don't trip over what's behind you, right? Put off that sin, right? Cast it off. It is now behind you. You are going forward. Don't look back to it. Look forward and run the race that has been set out for you. How do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And so if our eyes are fixed, not on the box that we create to put those things that we don't want to be, if we focus our eyes on Jesus instead of that, right, then that is who we will become like. I don't know if you remember like learning to drive, but right, like in, in learning to drive, right, we learn to fix our eyes on where we want to go, not where we don't want to go. In um, part of my act of faith yesterday, uh, actually on this trip, I had the privilege of allowing my 15-year-old cousin to drive me um, out of the river and on, on to dinner. My 15-year-old cousin drove big truck if you've seen my big truck like she's never she's never driven something that big before right and that was the advice that I had to offer for her right there were deep ditches on both sides of the road don't look at the ditches look down the road where you want to go we fix our eyes on where we want to go we fix our eyes on Jesus and so then it gets to this comment on enduring hardship as discipline. I don't know about y'all, but the word discipline is a struggle for me, right? Because what, is, what does discipline bring up for you? When you think of discipline, <coughs> shout it out. <laughs> Trouble? Oh, there's a good word. That one I'm not afraid of. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, right? Punishment, right? Yes. It's, it can evoke that sense for us. And that's what, what we have to get past in this passage is that discipline is not about punishment. Discipline here, right? It is the same word, the same root word as disciple. Way to go, Cole. <laughs> the same root for discipleship. This word, discipline. The Greek word, pedeia, means training. 
It refers to discipline or instruction used to train a person in the way that is right. And so the author here talking to those who are under persecution, who are enduring hardship, letting them know that this hardship that they are enduring, it's not punishment, but it is preparation. It is training for what is ahead. As people are following or falling away instead of following, this is positioned at the end of the sermon to the Hebrews as the call to action. It is the call to action or the pep talk from the coach. Right just before you go back out on the court, or maybe it's the fourth quarter timeout, and the game is so close. It's that we can do this, right? Get back out there and let's go. I love the way that the message version, Eugene Peterson's interpretation here, calls this out. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, It paraphrases to say, do you see what this means? All the pioneers, right? This great cloud of witnesses, all the pioneers who blazed the trail for us, the veterans that are cheering us on. It says, look at that and then let's get on with it. Let's go. We are going forward in our faith. His his paraphrase says, strip down, start running, and never quit. Get going. Get about the business of this training. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now here he is in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Those who came before us, what God has done in our life bringing us to this place, And then we go forward. So let's get about it. That's his call to us too. The author of this sermon says, all right, let's get to it. Let's go. Cast off all that entangles you. Run the race. Then the author pulls forward this quote from Proverbs, verses 11 and 12. He pulls this forward to remind us that this discipline, this teaching, this training is coming from a place of love. It is not about punishment, but it's about guidance. It's about correction when we do step out of bounds, but it is out of love to move us forward. It says, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one he loves as a father 
the son in whom he delights. Right? As a parent, I love my kids more than any other earthly being. And so am I going to let them continue doing something that is going to bring harm? Am I going to allow them to continue doing something that is going to weigh them down in life? In teaching them, in training them out of love so that they can be who they are created to be, that they can live on purpose, the purpose that God has set out for them. So in my training, right, I help them cast off that which holds them back. Don't touch that hot burner, right? Maybe don't eat a ton of sugar and drink a lot of caffeine right before you're going to bed. It just doesn't work out <laughs> for any of us. But right, we teach and we train as parents and as kids, we experience that from parents as well. But again, not from a place of punishment, from a place of love. So God disciplines us. God is training us, raising us up for our good that we can share in the life of holiness. God's holiness. How do we connect with God's holiness? In our experience of hardships, we can relate to the experience of Jesus. Sometimes we think about it the other way. Sometimes we think about it as Jesus coming down to earth so that he could experience the hell on earth that we are often walking through. But really, the experience that we have, the hardships that we experience, aren't we able to be more attuned to what Jesus endured on our behalf? Whether that be betrayal, whether that be physical harm, whatever that hardship may be for you, it's opening the door to connect with Jesus at a different place, at a different level, to understand that he endured the worst of it for all of us. This passage reminds us that no discipline is pleasant at the time, right? It's not fun. But we can all look back and see that that was preparing us for the future. The hardships that we've endured preparing us, preparing for harvest of righteousness and peace, the passage tells us. And without those things, right, these are, these are a throw to even the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the harvest, y'all, the fruit of the Spirit. Without holiness, it tells us no one will see the Lord. And so how 
then, but to train for it. To train for it, to prepare ourselves in the way of holiness, to look at the hardships that we endure as discipline for what is ahead. You know, on earth as it is in heaven is not an easy reality. It's not natural. It doesn't just happen. We must prepare for it and train our hearts for it. And so the passage goes on to to pull up an old story, the story of Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother. So Jacob, who becomes Israel and then has the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The 12 sons. (laughs) And the people of God flow through this line. Esau was actually the oldest of these twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau then would have been the one to inherit the birthright. So when we talk about today, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it might have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But instead, Esau trades his blessing trades his birthright for a pot of stew. Not even good stew, like bean stew, like is what scripture tells us, and a piece of bread. He's in a place of hunger, right? Esau is in this place of hunger and so desperate that he would trade his brother Jacob, his birthright, for this meal. And so, that's what he he loses the birthright. He loses the blessing to, to Jacob and later comes back and is like, ah, maybe I want that back. And that doesn't work out too well. Um, sibling rivalry in that space um, was a little, a little tough. That passage, if you want to dig into it, is linked for you on the teaching page. So on the Sunday page in the teaching section, there are a ton of uh, additional readings for you today and additional resources if you want to dig into that. One of the additional readings is this story of Esau. But juxtaposing the story of Esau, the way of Esau, to the way of Jesus. The way of Esau comes up against hardship, comes up against persecution, and trades his way out of it, but trades the very blessing that was intended to be his. And the way of Jesus, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, tempted, tried, without food for 40 days. He faces the temptation. He faces the tests. And so the training that Jesus endures during this 40 days, it is, it is the way forward for him. He's prepared in that season 
for his three years of ministry that we have captured in the Gospels. Jesus, being tempted and tried, tested and trained, is proven worthy, where Esau gives it up for a meal. Jesus is trained for the all-consuming nature of God's holiness. It is all-consuming. A couple weeks back, our friend Dr. D. Stokes led us, and her message was, are you all in or not? Are you all in? In order to be all in, right, for anything, we have to train and prepare for it. So how do we train? We fix our eyes. The invitation is still the same from Jesus as it was to his disciples that he called initially. The invitation to each and every one of us is simply, come follow me. And so in order to follow Jesus, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Some practical steps for us, things that sometimes we actually in the church refer to as disciplines, but practical steps listening to the Word of God or reading the Word of God. If you were looking for a way to get into that, it has never been more accessible than it is now. The YouVersion app, you can download it to your phone, have 2,000 translations of the Bible at your fingertips, but it also has reading plans laid out for you. Whether you want to start with just a three-day reading plan or a week-long reading plan or a year-long reading plan, they're all accessible and available in the YouVersion app. Many of you in the room are already connected to what we know and love as the Seedbed Wake-Up Call. Yeah. It is the daily wake-up call that is walking through Scripture, passage by passage, just letting letting it move us and transform us, call us to awakening. It is training us up. You know, that is linked for you in the teaching section as well. If you want to check that out, you can listen to it day by day. You can read it day by day. Um, there's also a Facebook group where there's additional conversation. The Seedbed Wake Up Call is a great way to get into this as well. They're actually next week, not this coming week, but the week after, starting a new series in the book of Acts, walking through Acts together in the life of the church. Another practical step is to spend time in prayer. And you're like, that's daunting. Thanks. Um, <laughs> we prayed the Lord's Prayer together during a, an, another series earlier this year. Continue praying the Lord's Prayer daily. There is no better guide. Also linked for you in the resource section of, of the Sunday page. To pray on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Right? Praying this day by day centers us, focuses us, fixes our eyes. Worshiping together, coming into this space is a practical step that we fellowship together. We mirror 
what it looks like in the throne room of God when nations, tribes, and tongues from all over the world in their own native language and custom give praise to God. So worshiping as a practical step. Friends, serving together in whatever way you might serve here at Love Chapel Hill or in our community is a discipline. It is a practical step of faith. Another book that I'll recommend that I'm actually going through again right now is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. The audiobook, I highly recommend it. Understanding that grace is not cheap, that the call to come follow me requires training, it requires work, but Jesus is with us in it every step of the way, and so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. None of these practical steps alone or in and of themselves is the end goal. It is the preparation, the training that we need in order to keep our focus, our eyes fixed on Jesus. So next time you find yourself experiencing hardship or you may be experiencing that even now, sometimes our initial response can be to ask the question, why me? But as we consider hardship, as discipline, I want to encourage you to try asking the question, why not me? Why not me? How much does God trust you? How much does God love you? How much does he see you as a son or a daughter in what you are going through right now? this is preparing you for something more that he has for you, that God has for you, the purpose that God has for your life. So what are you training for today? If people witness your training, would they be inspired? Or maybe they're putting your, their money on the other person in the race. Are you allowing people to witness your training routine? That is the way of discipleship, you know that? We invite other people into our routines. We invite other people into the training that we are going through to be holy as God is holy. And so together we fix our eyes on Jesus. We do that every week when we come to the table. We fix our eyes on Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, for our freedom, so that we can cast off everything that hinders us, the sin that binds us, his broken body. On our behalf, for us, for the forgiveness of sin, for the freedom from sin, that we might live fully as he has called us and created us 
to be. And in that, his blood was also shed. Blood poured out and for me. So as we experience this today, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We follow him, not just to the cross, but through the cross, to death, burial, and resurrection. We participate in his resurrection. So come, friends, take of the bread and the cup. We'll tear off a piece for you and dip it in the cup. We'll come down this side and across the front and and back to your seat. We invite you to taste and see the goodness of God. Come to the table.